When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me have you open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And very briefly, I just want to touch on what we talked about last week on Paul, the missionary, to the church of Corinth. And what Paul did was, in last week's message, we talked about how he was talking with the church and preparing them for spiritual battle. Yeah. And that the, the things that really that we need for the spiritual battles to have an intimate walk with Jesus Christ, if you remember last week, to have an impact on others and, and have an impact on a, in a positive way, those around you, those that you can actually disciple and move forward. Have compassion for people as well. And, and you think about a, a soldier, a, somebody that's going into battle, ready to battle the enemy. You just don't want to shoot and kill everybody. You want to have compassion for people as well as in the, uh, in the sense of our ministry that we do within the church, depend on God's inspired word. And, and then I mentioned the last thing is inhabit a life of humility. And in verse 12 of chapter 10, Paul said this, and this is what I concluded with last week, inhabiting a life of humility. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul says, we don't want to compare ourselves to anybody else. We, we're just lowly servants, is what he said. We are people that are wanting to do the best that we can. And Paul had every right to proclaim that he was the best qualified person. Paul had every right to be able to demand that the respect be given to him. And as we've been seeing through the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Paul was being abused, well, maybe not physically, but verbally by people within the church that didn't trust him. And it's not the church that he had established, the people, but people that infiltrated and came in. You know, he's, he's not that good of an orator. He really isn't. He doesn't seem to be, it doesn't really look that, that well. And last week we talked about his appearance by a book that was written maybe 100 years after Paul. And it said that Paul was a bald man with a unibrow, and bushy eyebrows, and a hooked nose, and kind of hunched over and bow-legged. And you think about this man, he says, man, he doesn't even look like a preacher. You know, I, what is a preacher supposed to look like? And so they would make fun of his appearance. They would make fun of his speech. He's not even that eloquent. He just talks all kinds of stuff. You know, Apollos, on the other hand, he was eloquent. And so it wasn't his demeanor, but it was what the people were trying to pull out of him just to knock him down to be able to establish their own agenda. And so Paul says, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to try to commend ourselves, and we don't have to try to compare ourselves, and we don't have to try to build ourselves up. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians, we found out that Paul says, you, you are our recommendation. You are our letter of recommendation. You are the ones that are, have, have this changed life, like Gary and Tommy. And, and what they're doing there. It's, it's the recommendation, the things that are, that are happening behind the scenes, like this, this woman that says, come cry and pray for my grandma. You know, there's changes that are going on in people's lives that is, it's just amazing when, when somebody puts themselves aside. Humility. Humility. The, the practice of humility is so much needed in today's church. It's so much needed in today's world. The practice of humility. You know, 
to, to, to talk about and to share about and to preach about humility, it's, it's almost a tightrope. It's a challenge. Because a lot of times, well, the pastor is looked at, well, he's the expert, so he should know. I mean, uh, he should be able to share with us about humility or any other topic. But at the same time, it's a topic or a, a word that needs to be not only known about, but you have to live it. And so I, I know I fall way short of that. And if you were honest with yourself, maybe many of you do as well. But I appreciate that uh, Brother Castro, his wife, and came up to us and talked to us about this today because this displays an act of humility. To be able to put yourself aside, and I want to share just a few things with you before, uh, before we conclude today. But let me go to the Lord in prayer and, uh, and just uh, get ready for this message. Father in heaven, thank you again for giving us this word today. And Lord, we just want to continue on with 2 Corinthians. And just like always, you have put us right in the right spot at the right time. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us as we learn uh, just the principle of humility and what it means and how it's important within our life. So I pray, God, that you lead us, you direct us in all things, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says? Amen. Amen and amen. It, it's interesting because one of the things that you keep hearing, you may, you may have heard if you followed anything within this whole pandemic, within the whole problem that's going on within our country and, without the world, and within the world, one of the things that keeps coming up is Second Chronicles chapter 7. If you have your Bibles with you in the Old Testament, and sometimes it's confused with 2 Corinthians, but turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And, and before, uh, as you get there, I just want to give you a little bit of a background of what's going on in 2 Chronicles. And, and the Chronicles are exactly that. They're just Chronicles. They are the writings, the of, of what's gone on, and they're chronicling, or they're, they're, the historians are writing down the things that have taken place with the kings. And David was a king that united the kingdom. He brought everything together, and he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He had a huge house, a huge palace, and he says, look at me, I live in this huge palace, and God has just a tabernacle, which is what God had wanted to do. But David was not allowed to build the tabernacle because of his, the blood on his hands. And so he gave the job, God gave that responsibility over to Solomon. And when Solomon had built the temple, he, he built it in such a way that it just stood out above anything else. And it was a place, and we know that God does not reside within the places built by man. This place here, it's, it's you, you are the temple, the Holy Spirit. But, but God made a promise. He made a promise to the people of Israel. And we take this verse, verse 14, and I'm going to read that first, and then I'm going to go back and kind of insert this where it should go, put it into the context of where it goes. But in verse 14, and you may have heard this before, 2 Chronicles 7:14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, there wasn't any of this going on at that time. There wasn't any healing that needed to be done. As a matter of fact, the place was booming. Everybody was happy. This was a joyous occasion. Solomon just built the temple, and he prayed this magnificent prayer that you will find in chapter 7. And uh, from the very beginning, how he dedicates the temple. They sacrifice 22,000 oxen, and they sacrifice 120 sheep. And everybody was just, it was just a, a fantastic celebration. And God shows up in verse 11. And he says this, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house, all that Solomon had planned to do in the honor of the Lord, and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself 
as a house of sacrifice. Here's the point here. We need to make our prayer known to God. Not just praying for what I want. Not just praying for what I need. Not just praying for myself. But we need to pray for the nation. We need to pray for the nations. We need to pray for God's will to be done. And what Solomon wanted to do was to have a place to worship and to honor and to recognize God. Then he goes on to say in verse 13, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people is the verse that is right before the verse that we're focusing on. If I command the heavens to shut up, and I send the locusts to devour your land, or a pestilence, rain and floods, a rain that we need to, to nourish the ground, and if it's, if it's dry, the, uh, the locust is a picture of those things that get devoured, that get eaten up. The things within our own life, the things within our own families, our country, our, our homes, our church. The pestilence are diseases and those things that seem to attack and, and to kill people and, to, and make people sick. Those are the three things that God says, you know, when these things happen, and they will, and when these things happen, what, what I will do if, and that's what he says, he starts off with in verse 14, if yes. my people, yes. whose people? God's people. Now, right here in this portion of scripture, it is focusing on the city and the country and the, on the people of Israel. He's focusing on his chosen people. It extends now now to us. He says, if my people who are called by my name. You know, you, you, if you are a Christian, you have the name of Jesus Christ sealed upon yourself. If you are born again and God has done a job in your life that has transformed you from what you were before to what you are now. Because, see, see, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a whole life change. Not being the same thing that you were before, but being something else. Being called by the name of God, Jesus Christ, a Christian. If you have that name, your life must be different. It cannot be the same. Otherwise, you have what what I call demon faith. See, demon faith is the faith that some people have. And James said, you you know, you believe in God. Well, great, because even the demons believe. But they shudder. And some well-known and knowing Christians, people that call themselves Christians, they, they say they have faith and they say they believe, but none of them even shudder. They can care less what God thinks about their lifestyle. Demons even believe and they shudder because they know that they have offended a holy God. They know that there is a, a something that has taken place within a life. And the reason I call this demon faith is because if you remember when Jesus went across the sea and the, the demon came out with, I mean, the person came out with the legion that had all these demons within him, the first thing that this demon-possessed person did is he runs to Jesus Christ and he prostrates himself right before Jesus. He falls down at his face, on, on his face at Jesus' feet. And he falls down and he says, oh, I know that you are the son of God. So you see, he knew what he needed to do. He had his Christology right. What have you to do with us today? Oh, son of the living God, of the most high. He knew Jesus Christ. Please do not do to us right now before the appointed time. He had his eschatology right. He knew at the end time they were going to be cast into the lake of fire. Don't do it now. We know that there's an appointed time. They even knew his power. They says, you know, we know that you can cast us out, but don't just cast us out into nowhere. Cast us into the herd of pig that are on the, uh, on the open. 
they, they knew his name, they knew who he was, they knew his power, they knew what was going to happen, and there are a lot of people in our churches that know these things, and yet they live the life as if they didn't know anything. Many people that I know have demon faith, and they live the life as if nothing has changed. And see, this is what God is talking about. See, when, when, when this, this takes place, so let me read the rest of it first. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. The rest of it says this. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. As for you... If you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statues and rules, then I will establish your royal throne as a covenant, as I covenanted it with David your father, saying, you shall not like a man to rule Israel. Now look at the condition. But if you turn aside and forsake my statues and my commandments that I have set before you, and go serve other gods and worship them. Then I will pluck you up from my land and have given you that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among people. And at, thi- at that and at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to the land and to this house? Basically, God is telling Solomon, look, when you guys, and this is going to happen, he knows already what's going to take place. When you turn your back, then these things are going to take place. I'm going to stop the rains from coming. I'm going to cause the locusts to devour your land, and I'm going to send the pestilence. And he says, okay, this is where we're at right now. And this is the state of the United States, of the church. And he says, if my people, if my people, the very first thing, we need to humble ourselves. We, we are praying for a change. We are praying for healing. We are praying for, yet there is not this humbleness within yeah. the church, within peoples. We have this arrogance, this pride, this attitude that my side's going to win in the election and your side's going to lose, even within the churches. We have this arrogance and we have this pride within our churches. It, 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 this is the way how it should be done. Jesus Christ said anybody can get saved. Jesus Christ said that nobody can get saved, that all people get saved. There is just all this conflict within the church. There is no unity within the church. And we allow all kinds of things within the church. And this is what Paul had been talking about from the very beginning. The the society, the culture had infiltrated the church. And it's caused division. And it's caused the the abuse and misuse of the spiritual gifts. And so when Paul says, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, when Paul says uh, in, in verse 12, not that we dare classify or compare ourselves. Paul says, you know, we need to take our eyes off of ourselves, And stop comparing myself with everybody else around me. Stop trying to commend myself for what I do. And this is a very tight rope. It's, it's a very narrow bridge that you walk upon as you're seeking to be humbled. Because even the act of seeking humility uh, is, is somewhat prideful in a sense. Because humility is, is more than just... Uh, is more than just the, the, the uh, thinking less of yourself, but humility is really just thinking less of yourself, not nothing of yourself. And, and it's, it's the idea of not, as Paul would say later on, 
in, in Galatians. Look at your outlines here. Number one, I must use the standard of Jesus Christ. That's the standard I must use. And in, in 2 Corinthians eleven thirty, 30, he says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The things that, if I'm going to say anything about who I am, I really appreciate the fact that one of the things that Twilight had mentioned is, yeah, I'm a crier, you know? I'm not here trying to, you know, know say that. And both of them, we, we had no clues to what we were doing, but we know that God was doing something. God was up to something in our life. And we had no clue. Even though we felt inadequate, God makes you adequate. Humility is not thinking of yourself by going in and thinking, I'm going to take care of this and do it my way. We seek to God, and if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the things that God is doing in my life. In Galatians 6, 14, he says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, the one thing that Jesus Christ starts off with when he starts his Sermon on the Mount, the very first thing he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say that those that are poor are blessed, but it's your spirit. You're thinking less of yourself and more of others. It is within your spirit that Jesus Christ is working to get whatever it is that he's doing in your life. It is within your spirit and within your life. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, thinking less of yourself and more of others. Number two, the practice of humility, first of all, second of all, we must sacrifice ourselves. I need to sacrifice myself. I need to starve the flesh. I need to think of my flesh less. And what we, we do is we feed the flesh. We feed the flesh with all this multimedia that we have, whether it's social media, whether it's on the shows, the TVs, music, everything seems to infiltrate our heart. And the more that we see, the more that we desire, the more that we want. In 2 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul says, But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us. Only what God has given us, not what God has not given us. To reach even you, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we, are, we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. And in all thinking through this, this process of what Paul's talking about, in his whole thinking process, he's holding himself back. He's not elevating himself. He's defending himself. And there are things that we must do, and you have to weigh the motives. Why am I sharing this? What am I trying to get across? What I'm trying to get across is the cross of Jesus Christ on what he has done. Not what I do, but what he has done. I'm here to share with you the testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And in Galatians 5.24, he goes on to say, And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There, there is this call for my flesh. There is this call for my inside desire to want to take in as much of the world as possible. And what Paul is challenging us to do in order to walk in a light of humil humility and practice humility is to sacrifice those things that we know brings desire and brings fulfillment, and fulfill ourselves in what Jesus Christ himself is doing. As a matter of fact, he says in Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That is a principle, that is a practice, that is something that always takes place. Every time I think that I'm, I'm exalting myself, I get humbled. 
Anytime we think we know what we should be doing, we, we get humbled. I mean, there's some things that we do that we know that we do, that we're, that we're good at. But what God is doing in your life, especially if you're seeking humility, he's going to humble you. Number three, I must seek to be humbled by God. This is why I was saying earlier, humility is a tight rope. Humility is, is kind of a, not too many people want to go that route. Most of us don't want to be humbled. Most of us want to be exalted. It's our pride that keeps us above the fray. It's our pride that keeps us up above everything else. But as Paul is saying, we need to seek to be humbled. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 17 and 18, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. As the psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Check my spirit, Lord. Look within me. Create that new heart. Look at what my heart holds and expose it to me. In 1 Peter, he says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This is a principle that God uses all the time. James says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. If you exalt yourself, God will humble you. And before you get to that point, you ask God, okay, Lord, create in me a heart that is humble. Create in me a heart. And as I said earlier, the more you try to pursue this humility, the more it seems like you're trying to exalt yourself. It's like the one pastor says, I know everything about humility. I even wrote a book about it. I know, all, just ask me any questions. I am so humble, you, would, you wouldn't believe. And humility has got that double-edged sword. The more you think you are humbled in actuality, you have stumbled on the pride. Man. I think the best way to describe this story, or excuse me, the best way to describe humility is the story that Jesus Christ used in Luke chapter 18. And I want to conclude with that if you go with me in Luke chapter 18. And some of you know this story as the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Oh, you've heard the story, huh? <laughs> yeah! Preach it, Pastor. And it says this in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. There is this air of snobbery within the church. There is an air of snobbery within the leadership of some people. There is an air of this, you know, I, I know what's best, and I'm not, at least I'm not like that guy. You know, and, and we compare ourselves, as Paul was saying. We compare ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to other... Uh, and usually when we do that, 
and I don't know if this is the case with you, but usually when people do that, they compare themselves to people well, they're a lot less than them. Well, at least I'm not like that drug addict, or at least I'm not like that, that uh, adulterer, or at least I'm not like, you know, that whatever. And, and we, yeah, yeah. we compare ourselves with people yeah, yeah. that are less than us. The comparison needs to be with Jesus Christ. When we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we come to the understanding that none of us, none of us deserve the love of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the only thing I deserve, the only thing I deserve is to be extinguished from this planet. But by the grace of God, by God's grace, he selected, he chose, he grabbed me, and he brought me to his saving knowledge. And he gave me life. And he breathed in me the life that caused me to repent. And because of his salvation in my life, it is by grace that I'm saved through faith, not by myself. I didn't do anything. It is God that gave me the faith. It is God that showed me my wickedness. It is God that showed me my lostness. It is God who told me, you are a person that deserves and should. But by my grace, I am bringing you to life. A humble person recognizes they have nothing within themselves to, to warrant anything that they deserve from God. And only what God gives us is a gift from him, not what I deserve. People usually tell me, you know, you deserve a whole lot more. I says, oh, yeah, you'd be surprised at what I deserve. I deserve to go to hell. No, 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 that's not what I meant. Oh, yeah, exactly, but by the grace of God. You see, when you come to a point in understanding that it is nothing that you do, nothing that you do, it's all God, then you respond. Amen. Humility can be described in one word by obedience. Amen. Obedience is the key to humility. What do, you, what do I be obedient to? Do I, to the pastor, to the church, to the government? Well, it's all right here. And what we've done from the very beginning is we've got, come to the word, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here are the things that I want you to do. Okay, those are the challenges that we have today. We are challenged to do this. What are the things you don't want me to do? These are the things that you don't want me to do. Okay, I'm going to be challenged this day to not do those things anymore. You know the part where it says, love your enemy? Yeah. Okay, well, you need to do that. Yeah, people tell me all the time, I, I, I don't understand the Bible. Well, you understand that part, love your enemy, right? Yeah, so you know that part where it says don't lie? He says, yeah, well, don't do that. Right. It's as simple as that. Right. Yet, we have people that within the church that won't love their enemies and constantly give a, yeah, just a little white lie, a little fib just to get by. It's a lie. It's a lie. Hatred is not what God wants you to do with your enemies. He wants you to love them. Beloved, if I can, if I can just preach, preach that message, just, just those two words, just those two things that the Bible tells us, to all the world, and, and help them understand that those are the two things that God is, we would, we would just squash all racism, we would squash all anger and hatred throughout the world, Amen. with just those two principles. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, folks, there's a lot more in here than that. Amen. Obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to God's word. Amen. This is why we hold God's word in such high regard. Amen. And you may not agree with it, I don't care. That's what it says. You may not like it, you know, that's okay. But that's what it says. And this is where we are. We are coming up to Reformation Sunday, October 31st. October 31st at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to have a revival uh, on that Saturday. 
from 3 to 5, we're going to open up the church. It's going to be kind of like our groundbreaking celebration for our new grounds. We'll have the parking lot done this week. They're going to come out tomorrow, uh, repave the parking lot. We'll have, you know, everything else has been done. And we're going to open it up. We're going to announce it. And Reformation Sunday, unfortunately, Reformation Sunday falls on Halloween, October 31st. So, you know, but that's 503 years ago in, in, uh, is when Martin Luther went to the church of Wittenberg and nailed the thesis on the wall and said, we need to get back to what the Bible says. The church has gone astray. You cannot be doing church this way. You can't tell people that, they, that, that justification is by works. Some of Martin Luther's friends were persecuted. They were burned at the stake for saying justification is by faith. And the church says, no, 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 no. And they burned them at the stake. Now, beloved, we haven't gotten that far yet. But in, in our culture, that is. But it's coming. We have to get back to the word of God. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're going to be doing. Yes. 31st is on Saturday. Yes, I know. What did I say? Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. 31st. I might have said Sunday. Saturday. I, I have, a, I have, an, I have an, an event that Saturday as well. But here, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we're going to have Reformation Saturday. I might have said Sunday. Thank you. Yeah. The purpose of it is to, is to lift the name of Jesus high. It'll be a revival. It'll be a time to share the gospel with people, share the word of God. I want you to pray for that and your participation in that. Be a part of what we're going to do here at North Park Baptist Church. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. Humility is a very difficult word. It is the absence of pride. Yeah. Just like darkness can't be living in the light. And we can't become more humble by focusing on humility. It's it's one of those things that you you either do it or you don't. And 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 it's a it's a practice. This writer named C.S. Lewis, he described humility as not as thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Okay. To thinking of ourselves less. And what we do is we think of others more. Okay. Not what I want, but what do they want? And the problem with that is that we get disrespected. We get angry. Our pride flares up. So true. This is a practice that we will practice from this point forward. We'll continue Man. to practice it. And, uh, and we'll, we'll bring people to share with us on how they have been able to put that into practice themselves. Man. And, and I know that uh, my brother Louis and his wife, I'm sorry, Louis, <laughs> Louis, uh, I, I come to know him as Louis, but I know that my brother Louis and his wife aren't here to seek that. But it's exactly what happens when you're not seeking it is you are exalted. And, and, and I, I know their heart and their desires to serve Jesus Christ in this people group. Let that be a, a model of what we can be as well. Amen. And it, it's the only place that you want to take us, Lord. You don't want to take us anywhere else. You don't want to take us to a place where we elevate ourselves. We've done that all too many times, Father, in our own life, in our own families, in our own jobs. We have been conditioned as children to be first and to be fast and to be the smartest with grades and trophies and, and awards and salary increases. We have been trained throughout this culture to pride to put pride in our hearts and in our life and now we are being challenged father to think of ourselves as less and i know that the pride is going to 
seep right in there and it's going to knock it right out. And I pray, Father, for your people to be a humble people. Those that are willing to serve, those that are less fortunate, those that are willing to serve others more than themselves, those that are willing to do what you've called them to be. Father, from the very beginning, we had, we had committed to stay open and to humble ourselves and to seek your face in your place. That was our call. And I thank you, God, that you've allowed us to do so and to grow and to develop and, and to be able to expand in the many areas that we were in. And I pray, Father, for this event that we will have on Reformation Sunday. I pray that you give us Saturday, excuse me, uh, that you help us, Father, to, to be able to reach the people that you've called and you're calling, that you draw them, Father. This is our desire to do your will. So thank you, Lord, once again for this opportunity, this time. And I pray for a special prayer for my, my brother and his sister, uh, my sister, Lord. Thank you for their life. Thank you for how you've blessed them and, and bringing them here today to share this testimony with us. So, Father, dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. amen and amen. Let me just read this last verse with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you grace and peace. Amen. Amen. amen.